So today we're gonna go inside the locker room. Oh, like a NFL locker room? Yeah, actually the Chicago Bears to be exact. Okay, I could I could get into going to the Chicago Bears locker room. I'm a Cleveland Browns guy myself, you know, being born and raised here in <laughs> Cleveland, but I'd be pretty cool to go in the Chicago Bears locker room. I'm into it, Michael. Okay. I figured you would be. But, okay, so today we're going to hear from ex-NFL, now keynote speaker and culture leader, Matt Mayberry, as he delivers us some lessons directly from the locker room. All right, Matt Mayberry. I I think I saw he has the new book out, doesn't he? Yeah, Culture is the Way is what it's called. All right, awesome. Well, let's get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Okay, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by PorkBun.com. PorkBun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at PorkBun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat. 
today. Okay, so today's story begins with an ending. And I'm guessing that might have been the end of his football career. How'd you know? (laughs) Well, football careers, they don't last too long, right? Usually only a few years, uh, maybe a couple years more for the good players. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's true. Okay, so actually, you're right, and here's Matt. For me, it it didn't happen right away. And I think the reason why it didn't happen right away is because when you, you know, enter into the NFL, whether you're a first round draft pick or an undrafted free agent, and I was an undrafted free agent, right? So that's a whole other topic of discussion where, you know, I thought that I was going to be a third round, fourth round draft pick. Uh, I had a pretty good college career, I would say, at Indiana University. So I, I had to take that blow. But then when I finally did get my chance in the NFL, you know, I worked my way up to second team behind Lance Briggs, who what I think will be a future Hall of Famer one day. Um, you know, and I got injured in my very first game in the preseason, right? So I didn't have that five, six, seven year career like some of my friends have had. You know, I, I like to tell people I had a failed career, you know, but that failed career ended up turning, uh, you know, into all kinds of just incredible opportunities. But to answer your question, I would say it took a couple years because you know, for me, I had to deal with the the loss of something that I was so passionate about. You know, football for me was not just a game that I loved to play. Uh, it was truly an outlet for me. You know, when I was 16 years old, I had a little bit of a drug problem and, and I was addicted to a lot of, uh, you know, drugs that, you know, almost completely threw my life away. So football for me was my precious pride and joy. So when I lost that, I had to overcome that, you know, kind of dark period and that depression. Uh, But eventually I had the right people around me and a lot of mentors. So they were able to kind of put me in a position to keep working on myself and keep growing and developing. Uh, And that was when I started to look at like my whole experience from high school football, college football, and even my short time in the NFL, you know, being around Brian Urlacher and, and Lovey Smith, who was a great coach, the coach of the Chicago Bears at the time. You know, so then I started to look at everything I learned from leadership and culture. And I would probably say about two and a half, three years after that injury, is when I finally started to connect the dots. Because when I first started my career, you know, it was more traditional sharing my story. And, you know, I guess you could say, quote unquote, motivational speaker, that that term I hate. Um, But it it probably took about two or three years after that transition phase. Okay, so he gets injured and then he gets a regular job. Yeah, that's, uh, well, not really uh, another option most of the time. You know, for me, as I mentioned, I wasn't the first round draft pick. I didn't get a $10 million, $20 million signing bonus. So I had to make a living when I did get injured. Um, You know, so I did work in pharmaceutical sales, uh, you know, trying to pick my life back up and and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, And that was when I finally realized, like, this is not for me. There's no way I could be in a nine to five. Um, I just can't do it. And I also did, to answer your question, I was able to see so vividly where a lot of people managers and leaders lack when it comes to not only just inspiring direct reports and team members, but really their ability to kind of convey a compelling you know, message uh, to not only their direct reports, but the rest of the organization. Because I saw coaches be able to do it successfully. And then I saw the lack of you know, kind of success from a, you know, people manager and leadership standpoint when I had that job for a year and a half in pharmaceutical sales. And there were several things that he saw early on that the people leaders at this pharmaceutical company he was working at, they could be doing better. And these were areas that he was comparing his managers to his coaches. That first one would be, uh, you know, get to know your people individually, right? So if you're a people manager, I don't care if you have one direct report or 10 direct reports, the ability to get to know them and you as the leader or people manager being vulnerable and opening up to them 
Um, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, that was not something that was being talked about. But now since that whole transition phase because of COVID, now it's it's more acceptable. But what that does from a team environment and, and even a working relationship, it, it really moves mountains. I've seen all kinds of barriers be removed and stripped uh, from just that one simple aspect. And then number two, I think what football coaches in particular do well than really anybody else is even though they have the title of coach, I mean, they're in the day to day walking side by side with you. You know, it is not a command and control approach as we see so many leaders operate out of. You know, you're probably starting to see that shift happen now in the workplace because in order to attract top talent, there, you know, no one wants to have a command and control boss, right? Someone wants to have a coach, someone that's there side by side with them, showing the way, leading the way forward. Um, so I think those two things combined are extremely powerful when they're put into practice every single day from a leader. Okay, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Dot com. That's business.att.com. Okay, so before the break, we learned about Matt Mayberry's beginnings as a leadership coach. But now we're going to take a step even further back as I asked him what were some of the pivotal moments in his life that were driven by coaches? I, I would be wrong to, to, to not include my high school coaches, right? Because I, I first, that's where I, my love for the game of football really started to blossom, I would say. Uh, and when I was going through that dark period of my life with drugs and getting in trouble and getting in fights and detentions and suspensions, you know, they were there for me every step of the way and helped me kind of paint that bigger picture for kind of what was in store for my future. But without a doubt, and I mentioned this in my new book, Culture is the Way, which comes out February 1st, um, you know, is, is my college coach, Terry Hetner, was one of the greatest living examples that I personally have ever experienced uh, from what I deem as a transformational leader. He continually transformed himself. He didn't sit there and say, hey, I coach Ben Roethlisberger. I help Ben Roethlisberger, probably a future Hall of Famer, develop and be the great quarterback that he was for so many years in the NFL. Uh, he was constantly growing and becoming a better coach and looking for, you know, kind of, hey, what a freshman, sophomore, junior year of college student, how, what are they listening to? What is their music? What is, what, what is important to them in their lives? You know, uh, just his ability to connect with you. Uh, one of the things I always say is any leader, any people manager can communicate, but very few can connect. And I think the ones that can connect at a very human level uh, are, are the ones that get the most out of their people. And, and I saw that front and center with my college coach, Terry Hebner, when I went to Indiana University. Okay, so what did this coach do that was different than what we see in the corporate world? You know, little things like, for example, uh, I'll never forget when I went on my official visit, right? And I had, I was very blessed and in a great opportunity when I did overcome that dark period of my life. I had, you know, I think 19 scholarship offers at the time from some pretty prestigious football programs in the country. And I went to Indiana when I first chose Indiana, everyone was completely shocked. Like, why would you go to that? That's a terrible football school. That, that's a basketball school, but not only basketball school, it's a basketball state. But I went to Indiana because I'll never forget, on my official visit to Indiana, he looked me and my family directly in the eyes and said, Matt, if you come to Indiana, you're going to get an opportunity to play in the NFL one day. You're going to develop as a football player. 
we're going to teach you the proper skills and what you need to, you know, have the the skill level to perform in the, in the Big Ten at a very high level and excel at football. But most importantly, you're going to get a world class education. And I promise you that I will help turn you into a young man that is more successful outside of the game of football that you ever will be playing the game of football. And I don't know what it was about that conversation, but just understanding that I wasn't a piece of meat. I wasn't labeled as I'm going to make this university multi millions of dollars. And then that's just kind of we, you know, go our separate ways. This was a man that truly cared about me as a human being. I think it was that conversation when I was able to fully see kind of, you know, his unique ability to connect with me at a very human level. What an incredible moment and what a way to recruit. I bet there's a very similar conversation that would work in interviews when trying to attract top talent, right? Absolutely, right? So next, I asked him for five steps that he discusses in his book, Culture is the Way, on how to build a world-class culture based on some of these experiences. So, you know, there's there's really five, you know, five steps to that. And it, it starts with number one of defining your culture. And, you know, kind of what I did with this whole, you know, five-step framework is really take everything that I learned from the game of football. And then for the past 12 years, uh, you know, as a keynote speaker, delivering over 60 presentations a year to some of the most prestigious organizations in the world, uh, but also the my management consulting side of the business of actually going in the trenches with, you know, world-class organizations and, and phenomenal leadership teams and helping them, you know, not only build a better workplace culture, but transform their culture that actually helps, you know, build out their strategy. Um, you know, and, and number one of that is define your culture. You have to know you know, definitively what your culture stands for. You hear so many leaders and people talk about, we need a better culture and, you know, well, what is that? What is a successful culture, right? Because culture, and I mentioned this in the book, it is not the perks that so many people think of, right? It's not sleep pods in every level of your headquarters. It's not getting off at 3.45 p.m. on a Thursday. It's not wearing whatever you want to work, right? The culture of an organization is really behavior at scale to help that organization achieve and excel at its an executed strategy, right? So number one, you have to define your culture. What does it stand for? What does success look like for our workplace? Number two is a process that I go with, uh, you know, usually when you see an organization or a leadership team, pr predominantly in, you know, medium to large size businesses, but even sometimes in small size businesses, uh, it, it starts and ends with the leadership team. And, and I do mention that throughout the book about the, the importance of a leadership team and driving cultural excellence. But after you define your culture as a leadership team for the whole organization, you then have to embed the whole organization into that process, right? So that could look like sending out surveys. It could be doing quick pulse checks. Basically what you wanna do is you wanna get every people manager and leader in that organization to collaborate with their teams to really discover what are our unique aspects of our organization. What do you love working about through here? So that second part of the process is to discover, you know, through collaboration and inspiration, uh, the third step is to, you know, really drive the launch and cascade and embed that culture into the organization. And number four is all about driving the long term and sustainability of that culture, because you can have a great culture one year, but then with market fluctuations and different challenges that go on uh, in your particular industry, that might not be the case for the following year. Right. So it, it's having a system and framework and practices of continuing to drive that culture for long-term impact. And then number five would be, uh, you know, kind of what we just touched on is that leaders blaze the trail, right? All leadership, all organizational success starts with a phenomenal leadership team. I've, you know, for the past 12 years, I can almost tell after spending about a month with a leadership team, 
if this organization is in great hands moving forward into the future or if there's some work that needs to be done or even maybe some changes. So those are the five steps in a nutshell of, of how to take and build out a world-class culture. Okay, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, we are back. So I'm curious, Michael, is there a correct way to define culture? I'm sure a lot of people are, are wondering about that. Well. So there, there is no, and I say this in the book, you know, because the very tricky thing, and I wanted to be very careful about this in the book is, you know, sometimes you, you may read a book on culture, even read an article online, and, and someone will claim that they have the, the perfect way. They have the one-size-fits-all strategy. And I mentioned in the book, there is no one-size-fits-all. Because the reason for that is that every company is so unique. Every organization has its own unique skill sets and characteristics of what is going to make that company and that industry successful and flourish in the market, right? So I mentioned in the book, especially when you're talking about defining that culture, how to go through that process that helps make it unique to your organization with where you are right now and where you want to go in the future. So there is no one size fits all strategy. And if someone tells you that there is, they're probably lying. Okay, but I want to know, how is this actually rolled out in practice? Well, we know it's always easier said than done. But again, here's Matt. All throughout the book, uh, I believe it starts in, you know, chapter four, but all throughout the book, I weave in and out, you know, one of my, um, you know, longstanding organizations and clients, Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits, particularly the Illinois division, they were the first ones to kind of go through, uh, you know, that cultural transformation. Uh, and I, I kind of pinpoint and kind of take the reader on a journey of how they were able to transform their culture. How did they get to a place where a leadership team didn't believe in culture, really? They weren't excited for culture. And I even mentioned two of the most important leaders in that organization really just kind of went through the motions in the very beginning, right? So, so how do you kind of navigate through the complexity of leaders who are not bought in? They don't really understand the importance of culture. But then how do you also cultivate a plan to continue to do this, even if people aren't, you know, kind of fully bought on in, in from the very beginning. Uh, but to, you know, really clarify in on your particular question on what goes wrong, uh, and not even using the example of Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits of Illinois, uh, without a doubt, the number one thing that I see go wrong is kind of what I already hit on, a leadership team that's not bought in, they're just going through the motions, or maybe even a toxic leadership team. And, and the reason why I say that is, even though it's so important to drive alignment throughout an organization, with the culture, you're never going to get that off the ground and running if you don't have an aligned, healthy, high-performing leadership team. It's just, it's never going to happen. You know, because if you have leaders who are not bought in for the culture, how do you expect them to convey a message to the rest of the organization and the people within that organization if they're not even excited themselves? So for those that aren't aligned and don't seem to be able to get aligned, do they need to be off-boarded? You know, I wouldn't say it's the only way through, but, I, you know, you get to a point where, you know, say, you know, let's say an organization wants to go through the process of creating a better culture. Let's say they have a, a plan of one year to kind of do that, right? They have a 12-month process in place. They already have the meetings on the calendar. They know exactly what they're going to do, you know, to kind of cultivate and help build and enhance their current workplace culture. Um, let's say there's maybe four leaders within a top leadership team that maybe aren't fully bought in. In the very beginning, I wouldn't say you offboard them or look to get rid of them right away. But the leaders of that organization, particularly the CEO or whoever's leading that organization in particularly, you have to set the tone from the very beginning. And I think that that comes down to kind of how we started this conversation of being very vulnerable and open, um, you know, of, of leading 
and having direct conversations with those people who are maybe not fully bought in. Like, this is where we're going. This is why we're doing it. And, and this is really what my expectations are moving forward. I think getting really clear on the expectations in the very beginning is incredibly important because, you know, you can sit there all day and say, hey, culture is important to us or we're going to be doing this. But unless people know fully how they're going to play into that process, more than likely they're not going to be excited for that journey. Okay, so lastly, I asked Matt for a case study where this worked really well in practice. And I don't know, I always find case studies helpful. Probably one of my favorites that I'm most proud of would probably be the example of what I used in all throughout the book of kind of using their case study as an example of Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits of Illinois. I, I think the reason why I say that is because, you know, as a whole, Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits is a 19,000 person organization. Um, and But in Illinois, you know, you've got thousands of people just in the state of Illinois. And when we first started, you know, they were a dominant performing uh, wine and spirit liquor distributor, right? Very, very dominant in their space. Um, if you look at their numbers, the P&L, if you look at what they did out in the marketplace, incredibly successful. But internally facing, uh, there were some pockets of growth. I wouldn't say toxicity um, and, or a weak culture by any stretch of the means. But I think the reason why I'm most excited about their transformation is because you have probably more than half of the senior leaders on that leadership team that really didn't give a crap about culture. And we only started this process because two of the senior leaders were very uh, passionate about starting that process. They knew they had to do it. They knew they had to start working on it. And the whole transformation, which really started in, in you know 2018, back in 2018, uh, to look to where they are now, you know, as far as alignment, the open lines of communication, um, you know, every single month, the, the manager meetings that are happening, the leadership meetings that are happening, defining what excellence and success looks like within that organization, and also organizationally wide, sharing the best practices. Um, it, it's just so fulfilling to see kind of where they were to where they are now as it relates to organizational health and performance. And a lot of that is because of the cultural work that they did from the very beginning, even when they weren't very excited in the beginning of that process. Okay, so say I go and pick up Matt's book, which I am planning on doing, by the way. What would I be able to take away from it? The most important thing for me is because, listen, there's a lot of books written on culture. I, I think everywhere you turn, there's a new book written on culture. I think this book is very unique because I tie the football aspect of it. You know, how do the best coaches in football build great cultures, right? I mean, one of the very first things I say in the first chapter is, I, I think all people, managers and leaders, even if you're not a football fan, you should study and analyze some of the greatest football coaches out there in the NFL and college, you know, because they are truly some of the best culture builders, you know, taking those young men uh, from all different backgrounds and, you know, races and life's journeys uh, and, and really get them marching ahead in a common uni unified vision is just extraordinary. Um, you know, but I, I think the number one thing that I want to take away, you know, from from this particular book is, you know, A would be the importance of culture. Uh, B, it's it's got to be a non-negotiable and C take that framework and all the kind of steps that I have all throughout the book and then make it unique to where you are with your team or your organization. Uh, and I think that hopefully I did a pretty good job of kind of laying that out there because it was incredibly important for me to not just, uh, you know, look at research or data uh, and say, hey, this is what the research says. This is what the data says. I, I wanted to provide some case studies and living examples of, of what do organizations do you know, when we start this process, we go through a two-year journey or transformation. What, what do they do? Kind of take them along through that journey. Um, so I, I really believe that, you know, for me, the biggest part of this is to know the importance of culture, 
and then take that framework and process and integrate it into a best practice and find what works for your organization or your team. Well, that will wrap us up for this week. As always, you can catch us every Thursday for a brand new episode here on Rocketship.fm. For Michael Saka, I'm Mike Belsito, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.